Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is session one of my Genesis podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Our theme is the creation of the world and of mankind. The book of Genesis was probably written about 1400 BC. The Word tells us that it was written by Moses. Now, how would Moses have known about the events that preceded him except there was an oral tradition passed down and also by the revelation of the Holy Spirit? But the name of the book means in the beginning. You know that it is one of the five books of the law that makes up the Torah or the Pentateuch. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It has 50 chapters. It was written in Old Hebrew. And one of the reasons that we care so very much about studying this book, instead of just saying, well, we're Christians, let's focus on the New Testament. Let's talk about the life of Jesus. Let's not worry about these Old Testament books. Well, the New Testament has over 100 quotes or references to just the first 11 chapters of of Genesis. And on at least six recorded occasions, Jesus Christ himself quoted from or referred to something or someone in these chapters including a specific reference to each of the first seven chapters. Genesis gives us the origin of the universe, of order and complexity, of the solar system, of the atmosphere and the hydrosphere, of life, of man, of marriage, of evil, of language, government, culture, nations, religion, and the Jews. In other words, without the context of Genesis, the Bible makes no sense. That's why we need it so much. So let's begin Genesis 1-1 and see what it has to say. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hmm, let me see. Beginning. That speaks of time, heavens, that speaks of space, earth, that speaks of matter, since the only matter that we have access to is on this planet, we might call it earth. The first sentence tells us that there is one God and that he has great power and that he is intentional. And this word created is bringing something from nothing. It's not like the word make, where you say, I think I'll make some brownies. Okay, you're going to get together some ingredients that already exist and rearrange them a little bit, and then you'll have something a little different, but you didn't bring it from nothing, but God created Not just matter, but space itself. The earth was without form and void. I wonder why that would be. Because he's just beginning or because there was this long span of time in between verses 1 and 2 that some have speculated uh, fits in with the eons of time that we see evidence of in the fossil record. We don't know. And darkness was over the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. Mm, beautiful. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Light. You know, electromagnetic radiation. Our eyes are sensitive to a very narrow range of it, and we see it as colors. But there are also x-rays and gamma rays and ultraviolet light and infrared and microwaves and radio waves, the whole span of the electromagnetic spectrum. And don't we also see the Trinity here? Let's see. In the beginning, God, that speaks of the Father. And then in verse 2, the Spirit of God. And then in verse 3, we have this creative word of God that brings light into existence. The word of God. And isn't Jesus the word made flesh? Wow. All three of them right at the very beginning of the first book in the Bible. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Now we have periodicity. But how could there be an evening and a morning without a sun? Don't we have day and night because the earth turns on its axis and one side or the other has the sun shining on it and then the other side is turned away? These things are hard questions. And God said, let there be, be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven or space. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. Were these 24-hour days? Well, perhaps they were from the perspective of space because this account begins from the perspective of space, does it not? And don't we know from Einstein's theory of relativity that time varies with speed and with gravitation? Hard things to think about. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. So now we have continents forming, or perhaps the one big continent, Pangaea, that it appears that once existed. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Does that go with the fossil record? That photosynthetic organisms preceded other multicellular organisms? Yes, it does. Amazing. 
And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were already having day and night. And I thought we had already seen that God created light. So how is it that he creates light on the first day? And then we come here to the fourth day. And we've already got photosynthetic plants. And now we have the lights. Could it be that they were not visible before because of the atmosphere? And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And so now we have the sun and the moon so visible from this atmosphere that has cleared because the photosynthetic plants have changed it to contain oxygen that we can actually use these heavenly bodies to keep track of time. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, you know, sun and moon, and the stars. And stars are still being created today and going through a life cycle that lasts several billion years and then burning out. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And this is all so very intentional, is it not? And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. And so here we have multicellular organisms coming from the ocean and at least flying insects on the earth. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so and God made and let me stop here as I should have stopped on some of those other slides and remind you that he's not using the word created here he's using the word made it only says in the first verse that he created so he brought something from nothing and then from the matter that existed he made see the difference? He made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man 
in our image. Isn't it interesting? He's going to make man, not create man, make man because man, as you know, was formed from the dust of the earth. And sure enough, all of the elements of your body can be found in the soil after our likeness. So this must refer to the creation, pardon the term there, of the body of the man, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But isn't it funny now, we get down to verse 27 and we go back to that word create. I thought we were going to make man in the image of God. But then you get to verse 27, and it's that Hebrew word that means make something from nothing. So God created man in his own image. You see, first the body is formed from what already exists, and then the unique spirit of man is created. And that is different from the life in animals. It was a special creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So to summarize, according to this first chapter, we have light on day one, or energy, electromagnetic radiation, atmosphere and firmament, or space, on day two dry ground and plants on day three, the sun, moon, and stars on day four, at least visible, bird and sea animals on day five, land animals and humans on day six. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And hasn't that certainly come to pass, that man is the dominant species? And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And doesn't our food chain go back to photosynthesis? We can't just eat other animals because eventually there would be nothing left. There's got to be some bottom line place where food is actually created using energy from the sun, the plants. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But we're not quite finished yet with this whole thought. So even though we go to this artificial creation of the second chapter, it's the end of this creation story. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. You mean God gets tired? No. But this creative God took a break. 
And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. You know, if you go back and do research or Google, where did our seven-day week come from? Some will tell you that it came from the seven non-fixed celestial bodies visible to the naked eye. That would be the sun and the moon and five of our planets that you can easily see without a telescope, Mars and Mercury, Jupiter and Venus and Saturn. Put that with sun and moon, you have seven. But the creation of that particular system, if it comes from the Babylonians or the Romans, comes after this Torah was written. And so we see that really some sources admit that it could have originated with the Jews and the Genesis account. You know, a week is about one quarter of the moon cycle. And there are 52 weeks and 1.25 days in a calendar year. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's very interesting because we just read in Genesis 1 where it clearly said God created the heavens and the earth. And it seems to have happened all at once. There was nothing and then there was something. But you go to the second book of the Torah, if we can move forward a little bit, Exodus 31, 17. And Moses writes again, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Hmm. He made heaven and earth in six days? Or he created the heavens and the earth all at once? Oh, I suppose it would be both, would it not? First, he creates something from nothing. There's space and there's energy and there's time and there's matter. And then in the six days of creation, perhaps visible from space, and so because of the dilation of time, could very easily expand into the 15 or so billion years that we see in science that equal creation. We have the Lord making heaven and earth. And just to throw in a little levity, maybe you remember Gary Larson's Far Side comic. It was published from 1979 to 1995. Here you can see God creating the earth. And I don't know if you can read all of the ingredients on his shelf there, but some of the ingredients include birds and insects and krill you know, that whales eat in the ocean. And then we've got medium-skinned people, light-skinned people, and dark-skinned people, and reptiles and trees. <laughs> but he's saying, and just to make it interesting, and he's sprinkling in a bottle of jerks. <laughs> okay, but in summary, what have we learned unequivocally from this first creation story? There's one God, he created everything that exists, and mankind was specially created. Well, this refutes some of the heresies that have been going around the world for thousands of years. First of all, there's polytheism and atheism. Either there's many gods or there's no God at all. Nope, Genesis 1 tells us there's one God. 
And then we learn that God created space and mass and energy and the heavenly bodies and all life. And then we learn that it was purposeful and that it was the result of this intelligent divine being. We learn that things have not always been and that all that exists had a definite beginning. Hmm. So you get into Genesis 2, and right after it talks about the seventh day, there is another creation story. It beautifully folds in with the first, but it appears to be a completely separate account, and many are not aware that really these two different accounts were melded together. We start over. Genesis 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Well, that almost sounds like it happened all at once. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Oh, so this is going to shed a little more light on the account that we read in chapter 1. He was formed or made before his spirit was created and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This was distinct from the creatures that had been made before, perhaps the hominids that are very human-like that had been created before, that we have clear evidence of in the fossil record. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That same tree of life appears at the end of the book of Revelation in heaven. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Cush is another term in the Bible for Ethiopia and Arabia. There are no rivers anymore named Gihon and Pishon. And the name of the third is the Tigris. Well, we all know the Tigris in Iraq, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And if you look where the Tigris and the Euphrates come together, it's not far from the Gulf here. Perhaps the other two rivers were destroyed and the flood that the Bible talks about that came later. But there is a city in Iraq called Al-Kurna with a population of 450,000 people that claims to be in the approximate spot of Eden. 
They even had an old tree that has since died in their square that they called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So local folklore holds Kerna to have been the site of the Garden of Eden. And that old tree was an ancient jujube tree. It was considered the tree of knowledge. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Oh, you mean he had a job. He was supposed to figure things out and do things. He was supposed to become an engineer and do bridge making and road building and learn how to make homes and other spaces for people to live in. And he was supposed to discover the secrets of nature. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. First time we see something is not good, even though there is no sin, something is not good. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So now we have the beginning of language. And isn't that how babies start out too? Babies don't start out using adjectives or adverbs or, or verbs typically. They start out naming things, don't they? And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, and by the way, that word Adam means the ground, means from the dust, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. The first surgery performed with anesthetic. And while he slept, took one of his ribs. Hmm. How interesting, because it's only in an adult in the ribs and the pelvis and a little bit in the ends of the long bones where you will find stem cells in the bone marrow. The rest of the marrow of the bones is yellow and doesn't have those stem cells. It's basically fat. But the red marrow that has the stem cells that are not differentiated comes from the ribs. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is Michelangelo's creation of Eve. Then the man said, this at last, because he had surveyed all of those animals, you know, and named them, and he knew what some of God's creation held is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed there was no shame because there was no sin. How beautiful. So, so far in Genesis, we have the beginning of the universe and earth and life and mankind and a seven-day week and marriage. 
And our most important points are that creation was intentional and done by the one true God, and mankind was created in God's image. I will abbreviate this following section, but I want to make a couple of really important points because so much of what we know about our world also comes from science. Remember that people of faith view the Bible as unchangeable. Science is, by definition, falsifiable. It is changeable based on the evidence. Bible gives us a big picture. Science gives us the details. Bible describes the source, while science describes the substance. The Bible will tell you what and why, but science will tell you when and how. The Bible focuses on spiritual principles, while science on natural principles. Science teaches that life changes over time, and there is abundant evidence for that. We call it descent with modification. And saying that it teaches that man came from a monkey is not a proper characterization of it. Scientists accept evolution because of a, an extensive fossil record and the similarities of related life forms and the distribution of related species and change through generations in living organisms today. So you will see people typically taking one of three paths when they try to meld together Genesis and science, and sometimes it's a torturous melding where they're either bending science or bending Genesis. They'll either say evolution is false and Genesis account is literal and the earth is very young, or they'll say there was a pre-Adamite creation that was marred by Satan, and Genesis 1-2 begins the account of a re-creation, or they'll say that Genesis is at least partly figurative and that God uses evolution and so if you see science and the Bible conflicting, it's because of at least one of the five following reasons. Either the Bible is wrong, or science is wrong, or the reader has misunderstood or misinterpreted the Bible, or science, or perhaps there's a missing piece to the puzzle. Let us be so careful and remember that it was Nicholas Copernicus in 1530 that told us that the earth is not the center of the universe and that it goes around the sun, he figured that out without using a telescope. And then Galileo Galilei came along in the next generation. He was a professor of mathematics at the University of Pisa and the University of Padua in Venice. And using a telescope, he steadfastly held that yes, it's the sun that's the center of the solar system, not the earth. Did you know the church said that's not what the Bible says and you're going to house arrest for the rest of your life? Later, the church had to apologize and they felt foolish because they had misinterpreted God's word and they didn't have the whole story. Galileo said, I do not feel obligated to believe that the same God who endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect intended for us to forego their use. If we had time, we could talk about all sorts of potential puzzlers from Genesis 1 and 2. But I am telling you that even the most liberal 
interpreters of Genesis 1 and 2 must, if they're going to be people of faith, believe in a literal Adam because Adam is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ and Paul and Jude mention Adam as a real person. What we have figured out so far in putting science and the Bible together is that space, matter, and time did come out of nothing at a specific point in history. You call that the Big Bang Theory? It is now accepted that everything came from nothing all at once, just as the Bible says. And that all of today's humans probably originated in Africa or nearby. And that all human beings alive on Earth today appear to be descended from a single female. And if you're interested in that, you can read about mitochondrial Eve later. In the interest of time, I will pass by some creationist versus evolutionist points and end by recommending to you a fascinating book by a scholar who is an Orthodox Jew rather than a Christian. He has a PhD in nuclear physics from MIT, which he earned in 1965. And he is a, an author, lecturer, and teacher at the College of Jewish Studies uh, in Jerusalem. He's in his mid-80s now. He recently got the Trotter Prize from Texas A&M in 2012. And this book that he has written, The Science of God, does a fantastic job of talking about the very latest science and how it fits with a literal interpretation of Genesis from an educated point of view. But bottom line, we don't have enough time and I don't have enough knowledge to explain to you completely how it all works out. But I know that God's word is true and that he did create us. So let's end with two verses. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heavens above. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And then the beautiful Psalm 100, know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So let's close by being humble and careful to be slow to form judgments about things that are complex and hard to understand. We don't have it all figured out, but God's Word is true. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 